It's Thursday, July the 23rd, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist. Coming up, America's $2 billion vaccine deal and China's shuttered consulate. First, the world in brief. Pfizer, a pharmaceutical giant, and BioNTech, a German biotech company, announced an agreement worth nearly $2 billion with America for a COVID-19 vaccine. If the vaccine is proven to be effective, the country would receive up to 600 million doses. Citizens' jabs would be free. The vaccine is still in development, but the companies expect to manufacture up to 100 million doses combined by December. Slack Technologies, owner of a widespread messaging platform, filed a complaint against Microsoft with the European Union. Slack claims that Microsoft's bundling of Teams, its communication service with the Office 365 suite of programs, is illegal and anti-competitive. Microsoft faced a similar complaint in 2008 over Windows' inclusion of Internet Explorer. The European Commission may launch a formal investigation. Tesla, once a perennially loss-making electric car maker, reported a fourth consecutive quarter of profit. The firm said net profit was $104 million in the second quarter, despite its having temporarily halted some production because of the pandemic. Elon Musk, Tesla's boss, also announced the opening of a new plant near Austin, Texas, which will build, among other things, an electric pickup truck. China threatened retaliation after the American government told it to close its consulate in Houston over suspicions of economic espionage. China called the move an unprecedented escalation. It was reported to be considering closing an American mission, perhaps the consulate in Wuhan. Bilateral relations have worsened sharply this year over a number of issues including trade, Hong Kong and the coronavirus. President Donald Trump announced he is sending a surge of federal law enforcement into Democrat-run cities plagued by violent crime. The first federal officers are being sent into Albuquerque, Chicago and Kansas City. It follows a deployment against protesters in Portland. The president, trailing badly in national opinion polls, wants to portray himself as the candidate of law and order. Britain's Labour Party apologised in the High Court for making false and defamatory comments about seven whistleblowers who spoke out about anti-Semitism in the party under former leader Jeremy Corbyn. It agreed to pay substantial damages. The party is separately under investigation by the Equalities and Human Rights Commission over allegations of anti-Semitism. And the man who confessed to acting as a middleman in the murder of Daphne Caruana Galizia, a Maltese journalist, was found in his bedroom with critical knife wounds to his neck and abdomen. Melvin Thuma, a former taxi driver, was due to give evidence on Wednesday relating to Ms Galizia's murder in 2017. Police said his wounds were self-inflicted. And now, here's today's agenda. Geometric Progression the maths of America's COVID-19 crisis. Why is America's COVID caseload rising so fast? The obvious explanation is that when lockdowns were eased, people moved around more. But this is not the whole story. In mid-June, infections increased fourfold in four weeks. Mobile phone data showed that people's movements increased only linearly and gradually since April. The explanation is rooted in geometric progression. One, two, four, eight. If one person infects two, two infect four. 
Unless the rate of infection is driven down, any geometric increase quickly balloons. 256, 512, 1024. This means that when the virus is widespread, even small amounts of activity make infections soar. You do not need vast, maskless crowds, though America had those too. The task is clear, to squash the infection level to perhaps a tenth of what it is now, closer to European or Asian levels. That seems to require full lockdowns. At the moment, few politicians are prepared for such a thing. Reckoning Ball, America's Monuments Statues commemorating slavery's defenders are in the crosshairs this week. Today, a Virginia court will hear an appeal to block the removal of a statue of Robert E. Lee, a Confederate general. Yesterday, the House of Representatives voted to remove a number of statues from the Capitol building, including a bust of Roger Taney, the Supreme Court Chief Justice who ruled in 1857 that freed slaves and their descendants could not be American citizens. On Tuesday, three bills to remove Confederate monuments were heard in House subcommittees. The battle is about new soldiers as well as old ones. On July 21st, the House passed a bill including a provision to rebaptize active military bases named after Confederate figures. The White House derides the measure as part of a new left-wing cultural revolution, but the size of the bipartisan majority that passed it suggests a veto could be overridden. Pleasing Parliament, the European recovery's next step. After five days of negotiation, on Tuesday the EU's leaders agreed on a recovery package worth 750 billion euros, 860 billion dollars, to help the bloc out of its pandemic-induced crash. One hurdle remains, the European Parliament. MEPs must approve the terms of the deal, which also includes the EU's normal 1.1 trillion euro seven-year budget. Normally, negotiations are fraught as MEPs scrap with national governments over every penny. Because EU funds have risen from an envisioned 1 trillion euros in January to nearly 2 trillion euros, calls for more cash will be muted. Instead, the row will focus on cuts to research and health programmes to which leaders agreed in late-night haggling. MEPs may also demand stricter conditions for handouts to countries that have reneged on democratic principles, such as Hungary and Poland. Given that the plan to issue 750 billion euros in common debt marks the biggest federal leap since the introduction of the euro, MEPs, traditionally federalist in mindset, are unlikely to block it. About Face, Australia's mini-budget To countries battered harder by the coronavirus, Australia's forecast contraction in GDP of 4.4% this year looks enviable. Still, today's fiscal update is a stark reversal for the Treasurer, Josh Frydenberg. Before the pandemic, he was expecting to return the budget to surplus. Not anymore. Revenues have plummeted and the Conservative government has splurged on one of the rich world's most generous stimulus packages of around 8% of GDP. Australians are already facing their biggest deficit since the Second World War, and the next fiscal years may be twice the size. But they entered the crisis with relatively low public debt. With Melbourne in its second lockdown, the government faced pressure to extend assistance, which was to dry up in September. This week it agreed to continue a reduced dole supplement until December. A huge wage subsidy programme will also be tapered until the end of March. It is currently keeping about 3.5 million Australians in jobs. 
Just how low Turkey's interest rates? Over the past 12 months, Turkey's central bank has slashed interest rates by nearly 16 percentage points. As long as inflation kept falling and the lira held steady, this made sense. But inflation, which had dipped back into single digits from a high of 25% in 2018, has swung up again, reaching 13% in June. With the benchmark rate now at 8.25%, the country has one of the world's lowest real interest rates. A new credit glut might not be enough to save the economy, battered by the COVID-19 pandemic from recession. The currency has stayed afloat only thanks to increasingly robust interventions by the authorities. The central bank and state lenders have burned through an estimated $100 billion to defend the lira. The government clamped down on short-selling the currency. The capital markets regulator banned six foreign banks from betting against Turkish stocks. But there is only so much the central bank can do to defy gravity. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Amy Winehouse, who died on this day in 2011. If you don't throw yourself into something, you'll never know what you could have had. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening.